0: Let's open our Bibles to the epistle of Jude and seek with the Lord's blessing this day to finish the epistle. These are the words of the living God. These are not the words of a book on homiletics given out by some cemetery, I mean seminary, or religious denomination, we are not reading from the common book of prayer. Right. We are reading the words of God. Amen. When we read that there were men that were before of old ordained to condemnation. Those are not the words of men. Right. They are the words of God from Jude 1.4. Right. When we read... That there are wicked men that creep into churches. These are not the words of fear mongers. They're the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and of God. These are the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ given to his apostles, who in turn wrote them down for us. There are men that creep into churches that have the wicked character traits that we're going to read in this epistle. When it says that When they rebel against authority, that they show themselves brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, those aren't the words of your pastor. Those are the words of God against men who despise dominion and speak evil of dignitaries. When it calls them clouds without water, that's not our metaphor. That's God's metaphor. When they're described as wandering stars that's not my comparison for you. That's God's comparison. When we are told that they have reserved for them the blackness of darkness forever, that's not my threat. That's not our threat against them. That is God's promise against them. When the Bible says they're sensual, when the Bible says that they love taking advantage of people who have more money, When the Bible says they have not the Spirit of God. When the Bible says that the Lord is coming with thousands of saints to judge them. Those aren't our ideas or our words. They're God's words. Humble yourself right now with me before these words of the living God. This is what he wants us to read in Sunday school. This is our Sunday school. We are in the school of the Lord Jesus Christ and His apostles on Sunday. Forgive me if you allow me the the use of words. This is what we need. This is what little children need to be taught. That God is a judge and that He's coming soon to judge the ungodly for all their ungodly speeches and all their ungodly actions that they have ungodly committed. Yes, he used the word four times in one verse, and he didn't get an R from a red pen over it. It wasn't redundant. It's repetitive to get your attention. The epistle of Jude. Let us take up in verse 12 and quickly cover some of the ground we very quickly alluded to last Lord's Day. These men that we are reading about creep into churches. They'll creep into our church. They crept into the churches Jude addressed. Paul described them as creeping into his churches. The Lord Jesus Christ, addressing the seven churches of Asia, in the second and third chapters of Revelation, said they had crept in there. There were those there that held the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. There were those there that held the doctrine of Balaam. There were those there that claimed to be Jews and worshipped in the synagogue of Satan. They creep in and they have these character traits. We are to recognize the character traits so we can identify enemies in our midst. We are to recognize the character traits so that we don't have them. We want to hate everything in this epistle that's describing the wicked, lest we end up acting like that or speaking like it. We want to see that there is certain judgment coming to comfort us. There's judgment now, and there's judgment later. And we want to know that the Lord Jesus Christ, by almighty power, will preserve us unto His heavenly kingdom. And so we end the epistle. Amen. But that's a few verses from now. Verse 12, these are spots in your feasts of charity. The feasts of charity were a practice of the New Testament church that's referenced specifically only here. I do not believe... Or understand this to be the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is called the feast in the singular in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 for one reason only. Not because there's feasting done there, but because it is the fulfillment and the antitype of the Old Testament feast of Passover. The feast of unleavened bread. So it's called let us keep the feast. In 1 Corinthians 5.8, meaning the New Testament version and form of the Old Testament feast of Passover. Here we have plural. Here we have plural feasts modified not by the Lord Jesus Christ, or by communion, or by holy bread, or by holy cup, but by charity, feasts of charity, so that there's love involved. And then it says, when they feast with you, meaning that there was real eating going on. Real eating going on is not what takes place at the Lord's Supper. What did the Lord Jesus Christ teach in 1 Corinthians 11? If any man be hungry, let him eat at home. We understand these to be feasts of charity. Do we keep this apostolic tradition? Who's over there right now? Who's? O- Gail and Chris are over there right now preparing a feast of charity? Uh. uh. Which brother wants to stand and tell me how much you're paying for it? What's the price per head next door? It's a feast of charity. Do we have fatted calf feasts? Yep. Do we love our fatted calf feasts? Amen. Do we have them sometimes to restore sinners? Right. What do you pay for that dinner? What it actually costs? Thankfully, no. Do we have potlucks? Do we have picnics? When we have a potluck, the distribution is made to all and all bring something different so that those that don't have as much get to eat as well as those that have more. It's wonderful. It's a feast of charity. Much more could be said about it, but I hope I've said enough. For three reasons. It's called feast in the plural and never is the Lord's Supper called feast. It's called a feast, singular for one reason, because there was one feast per year called the Passover where blood was remembered. And the New Testament, communion is the fulfillment of that singular feast. These were feasts, plural. They're called feasts of charity, meaning that they're for the purpose of loving the brethren. And there's feasting involved because the next clause goes on to say, when they feast with you, they do it without fear. They're eating. But eating is not involved in the Lord's Supper because if you're hungry, you're to eat at home. For those reasons, we understand this to be feasts of charity, meaning meals that the poor are able to partake of right along with everyone else in the assembly and fill themselves at the, benefit, at the, at the cause and the benefits of the church. They pay for it. <clears throat> but notice, that's not, what, that's not the real lesson here. But you know, you've got to read every word of God. Because there's a, there's a little practice there of the apostolic churches. If you were to go through the New Testament church... When we found the church full of the Holy Ghost, did they eat their bread and drink their meat with gladness from house to house? Amen. Were they all sharing their food? Yeah. Not the Lord's Supper, their food. Yeah. yeah, it tells us that, doesn't it? Did the apostles in Jerusalem tell the apostle Paul when he left them, they said, we have one more thing we want you to remember, to take care of the poor. Did they, did they tell them that? Yeah. That is a part of apostolic Christianity. We share all things common. And that, these meals help others to have food at the expense of those that are able to pay more for it. It's a wonderful setup. It's the Lord's welfare system for the welfare of all. But the lesson that we want is these are spots in your Feast of Charity. These men that creep into the church that are false brethren and false teachers, they're spots. They, They spot the wonderful thing that a Feast of Charity is. When the church is getting together to eat a meal for the benefit of the poor particularly and for the fellowship of all, they spot it. They corrupt it. They pollute it because they're not real believers. They don't really love the brethren. They love themselves. They're self-willed. They're presumptuous. They're selfish. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Notice the feeding. I hope I've made my point enough. There's more that can be said, but we just need to move on and get the lesson that Jude has for us. When false men creep in, they spot what we're doing. They pollute it. They corrupt it because they don't have the fear of God. They're not doing this out of fear of God. They're doing this just to make a public show because the church is having an event. Lord, save us from such. Let it never be true of us. When we go to a a fatted calf dinner of our church or when we have a potluck, I hope you're bringing as much as you're able to comfortably afford to bring and that you're excited to share a little bit of extra with the rest of the church and that you're coming out of the fear of the Lord to do it. That will separate us from the rest of this crowd. We must be sincere because these men are not. There's another metaphor beginning in the middle of that 12th verse. Clouds they are without water carried about of winds. Now a cloud in the Bible was something good. When you're in the business of agriculture you look for clouds. Do you remember when Elijah fell down his face? They hadn't had rain in three and a half years. And he got up and he looked out to sea and he saw this little cloud. (laughs) Yes, a little cloud starting to rise out of the sea. He got excited because a cloud meant rain could be coming. But these are clouds without water. They look good. They sound good. But they don't bring the refreshment that we all need. They don't bring the nourishment that we need. They come. They look They look fluffy. They look like a cloud, they look like they ought to nourish us and refresh us, and they don't. So, what's the lesson for us? Let's make sure that we're nourishing the church of God. Every single one of you has a role that you can play. You can nourish someone. You can nourish someone by just walking up to them today and saying it is so good to be in the house of God with you today. Right. That, that's a little bit of nourishment right there. That's refreshing, like a little bit of rain on a hot day. But they have none. You know, real nourishment and real refreshment is our pursuit of each other's souls to encourage each other and provoke each other to love and to good works. Now, that's a cloud that has a lot of water in it. But these are clouds without water. These aren't my metaphors. These are God the Holy Spirit's metaphors. These wicked men are being compared to various things. They're spots in the first part of the verse. Now they're clouds without water and they're tossed to and fro by winds. Clouds ordinarily just float lazily. Even when you're flying a small plane, you can focus on a cloud because it's not moving very quickly. You can look at a cloud and position yourself by that cloud and aim for it for a while, and it's not going to get you far off course. But let some strong winds come. Then those clouds are just billowing and tossing all over the place, and so it is with them. They're clouds without water, carried about of winds. 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 Not just fixed. This is a theme that we're going to get from these kind of men that creep in. They're up and down, back and forth. They're full of zeal. The zeal disappears. They're full of verbal agreement with the church and praise of the church. Then it disappears. Up and down, back and forth. But no lasting refreshment or nourishment. We don't want to be like that. And we should recognize it because the Lord's telling us about it. These are the men that creep into churches. These are spots in your feasts of charity. These are clouds without water, tossed, carried about of winds. Here's another metaphor. Much more could be said on each of these points. I'm not going to do it or we'll be in Jude until the end of the year. There's a 23 page single spaced outline on Jude. It's excessive. But it's, but the Lord's just, the Lord's merciful to us. You can look at that and I, I will have it out there in the next 48 hours on the website. I want, I want you to get the, the picture of what's Jude saying to us, not get caught up too much in the details. But we do want to look at the details and briefly refer to them. A third metaphor. Trees. The last third of verse 12. Trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Who are these men? The men that creep in. The men who were before of old ordained to condemnation. Ungodly men. Turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. These are not true believers. They do not hold the course. They're compared to trees in this place. Trees whose fruit withereth. When you think you're going to get fruit from them, it dries up and you don't get any. It withers. It doesn't bring forth fruit to perfection. It's without fruit. There is no real fruit from it. It's twice dead. Not only is it dead from a fruit-bearing standpoint, it's dead from any internal vitality that could bear fruit. Because there really isn't any ability to bear fruit in the tree. It's twice dead. You can tell that it's dead by no fruit. It's fruitless. And it doesn't have it inside. Twice dead. Don't start. Don't get too deep on trying to think about two salvations, or two deaths, or two phases of salvation... Because it's a metaphor. And if we run too far away from the metaphor, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. We're still talking about trees, aren't we? Because the fourth little phrase about these trees tells us that they are plucked up by the roots. They won't last forever. God does not put up with fruitless trees. John chapter 15 says, Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, He takes it away and burns it. And he prunes the branches that are there bearing fruit so that they'll bear more. In Luke 13, the short little parable Jesus gave was, the Lord of the vineyard will come in and cut down a tree that doesn't bear fruit in his vineyard. What about the tree of Israel? They stopped bearing fruit. And John the Baptist said, the axe is now laid to the root of the tree. That tree was chopped down. The nation of the Jews was chopped down. A few Jews were saved out of it, along with the Gentiles, to make up the kingdom of heaven. We must be fruit-bearing and fruitful in our lives not to be like these trees. The Lord Jesus Christ once said about the Jews that were listening to Him, when His disciples came to Him and complained about the way He was speaking to them, He said, Let them be offended. Their blind lead is the blind. I said this last Lord's Day, I know. Repetition is how we learn, and how we learn what these phrases are referring to. Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. The Lord will take care of these trees. In verse 12, we had three metaphors with multiple expressions describing each metaphor. This is how literature ought to be taught. You don't need to read the hallucinations of some pagan in your literature class as a freshman in college. Right. When you take English 200... And it's English literature, that's the worst course you can take in college. They'll make you read the pagan hallucinations of dope smokers, idiots, sexual deviants. And you're going to try to have to figure out what did they mean by this paragraph about incest and bestiality. What did they mean about bestiality? Why not read Jude 1.12 and figure out all that's meant there? Wouldn't that be a good lesson in literature? Amen. With some value. But we've got another metaphor in verse 13. Raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame. They look loud. They make a big boisterous presentation like the waves of the sea do. But that big wave that you see way out there that comes over the top and has a huge white cap and that men are even able to jump on a surfboard and surf down the side of it, it's so huge, how big is it when it gets to shore? It's foam. It's foam. And this is what the Lord thinks of them. This is what the Lord thinks of all the wicked. He says, "...the wicked are like the troubled sea, casting up mire and dirt." There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Do you know what we want to be like? Still waters. Calm waters. Deep waters. That provide refreshment for men. We don't want to be raging waves of the sea that come in and make a big show and then end up in a bunch of foam. We want to continue. We want to be a, a place of deep water like the well of Bethlehem where David would, would in, his, in a dark moment in his life, wish for the waters of Bethlehem. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. I promise you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that every false teacher and every false brother will be exposed for his falseness. In Second Timothy chapter three, the apostle Paul said, They shall be made manifest to all men, as they were, meaning Janus and Jambries. Right. Janus and Jambries turn water into blood. Two magicians of Pharaoh by name in 2 Timothy chapter 3. They could turn water into blood in front of Pharaoh to hard, help harden Pharaoh's heart. But they reached a point where they could not match Moses the prophet. And their folly was made known to all men. And do you know what they had to say to Pharaoh? Amen. Pharaoh, you just saw the finger of God. Right. Amen! I hope Aaron shouted, Amen. You just saw the finger of God. Their shame was made known that they were just little pretenders. Little pretenders, little gypsies that could do a few little things, but nothing like Moses. And these men will turn into foam at the shoreline. They're called wandering stars, another metaphor. What a sentence. Wandering stars. Remember, I went over this last Lord's Day. Stars are fixed for navigation when you're out on the ocean and there's no street lights or street signs. There's very few street signs out in the ocean telling you, turn right on I-85 and and go south for 147 miles and you'll hit, hit Atlanta. There isn't anything out there like that in the ocean, but there are stars in the heavens. And navigators have known for years how to plot by those stars and chart their course. But a wandering star, like a planet, because a planet looks like a star, except it's moving. If you plant your naviga- if you chart your navigation on a planet, you're in trouble. Unless you know the movements of the planets in relationship to the stars, which is a whole lot more complicated than knowing the positions of the stars. Right. Or a comet. Or a meteor. Now that's a real wandering star. It just flat out gives a burst of light across the sky and it's gone. We don't want to be like that. We want to be fixed lights in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That men can chart their course by seeing our lives, they never vary. They're fixed. They're always pointed heavenward. They're always based in the Bible. And others can follow us. Can chart their life course by us. That's what we want to be. That's the difference of a child of God and a pretender. Wandering stars. Oh, there's more that can be said. Do you know what Daniel was told by the, by the angel to describe those that would turn money to righteousness? In Daniel chapter 12, they shall shine as the stars forever. Then it says this, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Men that live like this, men that are inconsistent, men that are unfruitful, men that vary, men that change, men that wander, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Can a carnal Christian get into this verse and still end up in heaven, into some of these descriptive phrases for a short period of time? Sure. Did David ever wander? Do we sing a song, Lord, I'm prone to wander? Lord, I feel it. Yes, but only for a short while. They repent. David repented. Moses repented. Even Manasseh repented. But these are character traits of the wicked. And the wicked will have these character traits. They will not really refresh. They will not bear real fruit. They will wander. They will foam out their shame. We must be calm and consistent. We must be constant. We need to be different from wandering stars. And to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever? These men that creep in, they were before of old ordained to condemnation. What is the condemnation? The black darkness of hell forever. You afraid of the dark? Wait until you're locked in darkness forever with the howling spirits of the devil's. You won't have a light switch to turn on. You won't have a night light to help you. There'll be no light. It'll be the blackness of darkness forever. Peter would say it's the mist of the blackness of darkness forever. That day is coming for all the wicked, and the wicked can be identified by the character traits that are right here in this epistle. We don't want any of these character traits to touch us. We want to be fruitful. We want to be constant, consistent, calm, continuing, in the gospel and the faith once delivered to the saints. Loving. Not spotting up the feasts of God without hypocrisy. This is our goal. This is our ambition. And if you do these things, you shall never fall. Amen. Verse 14. Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these. Isn't that wonderful? That Enoch... The sixth generation from Adam, seventh inclusive, is how the Bible's written here, had prophesied of this very same thing and had talked about these men. Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these men, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Those are his angels. That's not you, and it's not me. He's coming with ten thousands of his angels. Angels in the Bible are called sanctified ones. They're called the holy angels because they are sanctified. You coming with them, which isn't true anyway, but you coming with Him wouldn't frighten the wicked at all. That would be no threat of anything. Now, if you need some verses to find out that, he, that, that saints here means angels, what you need to do is go back to Mount Sinai and find out that God came down on Mount Sinai with His saints. But then when you read the rest of the Bible, the Bible tells us that God gave the law... By the disposition of angels. For if the word spoken by angels, angels please, that, let's not waste any more time with something so simple. The Bible tells us in Second Thessalonians chapter 1 that the Lord, shall be, Lord Jesus Christ shall be revealed from heaven in flaming fire with His mighty angels to execute judgment upon the earth. Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these. This is this is amazing. And it's still not in the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. Did you know that Enoch lived contemporary with Adam for 308 years? Adam lived to be 950 years old. In the 622nd year of his life, Enoch was born. And Enoch lived 365 years. He outlived Adam by only 57 years. But for 308 years, Adam and Enoch were together. Enoch knew this, and Enoch prophesied of it. The whole world from the beginning knew that this wicked race that we are made up of was going to be judged by the God of heaven for their ungodly deeds from the very beginning. That's why Solomon could write in Ecclesiastes the last verse. Let's get the second to the last. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good and whether it be evil. End of the book of Ecclesiastes. It was known. God created our race, and we rebelled against Him. He he had no patience in the days of Noah, so He drowned the entire earth with a flood. But there's another judgment coming of fire that Second Peter chapter 3 describes. And so here we have Jude raising up Enoch. We wouldn't have known that Enoch was a prophet without Jude. But Jude telling me Enoch was a prophet is good enough for me. I hope it's good enough for you. Paul telling me that Pharaoh's two Egyptians were named Janus and Jambres is good enough for me, even if Moses didn't give me their names in the first five books of the Bible. We believe and trust the whole Bible. And here Enoch was a prophet. And what did he prophesy about? If you'll sow a seed, you can reap riches. If you'll put a 20, if you'll give us a 20, every week for the next 40 weeks, God will give you 40 blessings. That's Mike Murdoch. That's Benny Hinn. That's all these televangelists. Look at what we get when Jude... The apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ raises up Enoch. What did Enoch warn his generation about? Here's what he said. Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. When the angels are described, they're described as how many? Ten thousand times ten thousand. If you wanted to save yourself a few words, what would you say? Ten thousands. Or, or, yes, or a hundred million Ten thousands of His saints. To execute judgment upon all. The Lord is coming to judge all men. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We shall all give an account of ourselves to Christ. To judge all. But now watch. There's a distinction going to be made there. The sheep are going to end up on His right hand and the goats on His left. To execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. Brethren, let's never speak against the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's never speak about God. If God takes your favorite child, don't blame God. Don't get angry with God. If you have a child, it's a gift from God. He gave you that child on loan, and He has a right to take it again. The Lord gave, and the Lord take, hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, is what Job said. And how many children did Job lose that day? All of them. How much, how many of, how much of his assets did he lose that day? All of it. How about his health? All of it, except his life, they were sore boils. I don't believe the Lord gave, I don't believe the Lord allowed Satan to give Job boils that he could spot and touch up with a little bit of calamine lotion and they were all better. He wanted to sit there with a broken piece, a broken Coke bottle and scrape himself. A broken piece of pottery. To execute judgment upon all. How are we going to have judgment executed against us? Our names are going to be found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and we're going to be judged righteous. But among all those that stand before Jesus Christ, to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed. We've got ungodly as an adverb. We've got ungodly as an adjective describing that is against God. It is not according to God's will. It is not according to God's word, the conduct of these men. Therefore, if our conduct is according to God's word, and if our conduct and our speech is like Jesus Christ's speech and his conduct, and like the Apostle Paul, we're not in Jude Jude 1.15 to have those ungodly deeds raised up against us. Our ungodly deeds are held against the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And what had Paul committed to the Lord Jesus Christ? The safekeeping of his soul. And it would be kept safe. And Paul was persuaded of it. But the Lord's coming to judge. And the Apostle Paul wanted it to be made very clear. We, speaking of himself, and Barnabas, and Silas, and Timotheus. And Epaphroditus and the rest of them, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We shall hear about the wicked things that we have done, but they will be judged under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ because our, our names will be found in the Lamb's book of life. Right. The idea that the righteous will never ever hear about their sins again is in conflict with Paul's repeated warnings that we will hear. But we'll be judged righteous through Christ. The books are going to be opened. And the books aren't going to be very pretty for us. But another book is going to be opened. And it's going to be very pretty for us. Because it's going to override the first books. But whose sliver was not found written in the Lamb's book of life, they are judged by what's in the first books, the books of their works. We are judged righteous because of Christ's perfect works for us. He's gonna, he's gonna comfort you with this before we get out of the epistle when he says, now unto him that is able to present you faultless. To keep you from falling and to present you faultless. You are in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're in the hands of God. You can never be lost. You can never fall in any eternal, legal, vital or final way. Even if you may fall practically from time to time. What a warning here. What a warning. Verse 16. Further descriptions. This short little epistle. What is the purpose of the epistle? To help us identify wicked men that creep into churches. Then to help us know the character traits we ought not to have. Then for us to realize that God will judge all these men. Then for us to realize that we are preserved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord and will never be lost And therefore, all honor and glory, majesty and power and dominion belongs to him forever. Amen. This is the epistle. But here we go. Another list. We have been given character trait, judgment. Character trait, judgment. Character trait, judgment. Here we are, back at another list of character traits. These are murmurers. There's some terrible things that came out of their mouths. You know, that 15th verse told us, and their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Have you ever complained against God? Brother, I think of your sister. I think of many others. They get angry at God. There's several in here that know a doctor who lost his wife early in life, very early in life. He was a Bible believing man full of faith prior to that. Now he's an agnostic, atheistic, profane speculator and skeptic against God and his word, and anyone who claims to follow either. Listen, your wife isn't yours. Your wife is a wife is a gift from God on loan okay. to you from God, and he's going to take her back to himself, and in heaven you're not going to be married. Right. So get over it. Ungodly speeches. That that's ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. Don't you ever complain against God. You're not as smart as the guy sitting next to you? Thank God and praise His glorious name that He could save someone as dumb as you. Amen. You're not as handsome as the guy sitting next to you? Praise God He can save someone as ugly as you are. Wonderful! Are you base... Did you grow up in a poor household and you don't have much to show? You weren't trained very well? Praise God He was able to dig into the the wretches of life and save you. You lived a dissolute life. You were rebellious and foolish. Praise God and thank Him that He saved you anyway. We don't rebel against God. We don't bark against Him. We don't complain. We don't care that we're too short. We don't care that we have a body disposition that tends toward fatness. We don't care if we're ugly. We don't care if we're not very smart. We don't care if our IQ test in school got us held back a year or two. Because God saved us anyway. Because you know what the Bible says? For ye you see your calling, brethren, how that not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise, not many rich are called. But God hath chosen the poor things of this world, rich in faith. God hath chosen the foolish things of this world. And God hath chosen those things which are nothing to bring to nothing those things that are something in their own imagination. Thank the Lord for that. Don't murmur. Murmur. Murmuring is to complain or to repine against things in low, muttered tones. This this just stinks. You all know what Oh, What did God do to Israel for murmuring? We wear our thumbs out. Fiery serpents. Pestilence. Fire from heaven for murmuring against Him. Can you believe being taken on a vacation for the rest of your life? I'm sorry that you had to work so hard in Egypt, Israel. Let's go on vacation for the rest of your life. Let's go take the land of Canaan. You should read the brochures about this vacation place. It's flowing with milk and honey. They've already got your houses built for you. Your vineyard's already planted. So if there's great big vines in there, the wells are already dug and they've already been shopping at the best stores because the houses are filled with all good things. Right. Can you believe it? And you get to live there forever. You don't have to build the house, dig the wells, plant the vineyards. You're going on vacation forever. And I'm going to come with you And whenever you get fearful at night, I'll be a pillar of fire. Whenever you don't know where I am during the day, I'll be a pillar of cloud. Whenever you face your enemies, I'll destroy them. I'll chase them with the hornet. Five of you will put a thousand to flight. Whenever you come and worship in church, you don't have to worry if there's a burglar getting in. Leave your door open. Because I'll put in their hearts not to come after your things while you're worshiping me. Three times a year, far from home, in Shiloh or Jerusalem. Now, there's stinking manna. I'm so sick of manna. So sick of manna. Cheap stuff. Yeah, it was cheap. The Lord gave it to you free every day. Right. It was angels' food. That's right. Did we have to eat this again? Well, Johnny, it's only the second time this month that we... Did we have to have that again? What do you mean again? We only have it once in a while. These are murmurers. Let's never murmur in the house of God. Let's never murmur anywhere. Teach your children not to murmur. Grumbling, groaning, moaning, bitching, complaining. That's a modern definition. You all know what that word means. It's a verb. I just use it as a verb. Please don't be offended. These are murmurers, complainers. The same thing, just doing it a little more expressively. You're getting it out now. You're saying it. You're dissatisfied. You're discontent. Your life is so miserable, it is so hard, that you need to talk about it. Lord, forgive us right now for all our murmuring and complaining. We are the most blessed of all men, and we put Israel of old to shame with the blessings you've given us we should never murmur or complain. Forgive us for every time we have ever murmured or complained. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. They walk after their own lusts. That's a belly worshiper. He's selfish. He's self-willed. He follows his own feelings. We don't follow our feelings. Walking after their own lusts. All that is in the world can be summarized in three things. The pride of life. <coughs> You do things because it puts on a show to others. Because you're full of pride. The pride of life is one category of sin. The lust of the flesh, something your body craves. And so you give into your body the lust of the eyes, something you see that you just think you have to have. Everything is wrapped up in those three categories of sin. Right there. The devil used those three categories of sin in the Lord Jesus Christ. The lust of the flesh, turn those stones into bread and feed yourself. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, look at all these kingdoms. They can be yours if you'll worship me, lust of the eyes or the pride of life. Then he took him up to the top of the temple and said, listen, this scripture is written about you, that you can cast yourself down. The angels will bear you up. The pride of life. He dared the Lord Jesus Christ to put scripture into force to protect him. All three of those, they follow their own lusts. We don't go by feelings. We don't go by lusts. We want to go by the spiritual drive that is propelling us by our new man. We set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. They're murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts. I have to have meat. So God gives them quail, but puts leanness into their soul. God can give you the things you pray for, and if you don't pray for spiritual blessings first in line, He can give you those natural things you pray for. He may not, but He may give them to you and put spiritual dullness, deadness, and leanness into your soul. Been there, done that, felt that, knew that, and could not get out of that until God let me out. It's horrible. Walking after their own lusts. Let's walk after God's own will. Let's walk after God's own words, not after our own lusts. And their mouth speaketh great swelling words, They use good words and fair speeches to deceive the hearts of the simple. Romans 16. They use faint, with faint words they make merchandise of men. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 3. They allure through the lust of the flesh, through great swelling words of vanity. 2 Peter 2, 17 through 19. So there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of foam. There's a lot of praise. There's a lot of flattery. Feigned words. Swelling words. Puffed up words. Pompous words. Their mouth speaketh great swelling words. But remember, they're wandering stars. They're never the same. They're fruitless trees. They're waterless clouds. And so on. But oh, there's always good words. At all times, we should be keeping two things in mind. Jude is helping us identify pretenders. But then after we get that absorbed in just a few seconds, we should be thinking, am I guilty of that? Do I use puffed up words about my love of Christ and my love of God's word and my commitment to the kingdom of heaven? Is my my heart and my life and my feet and my hands as committed as my words? We must ask and answer. Having men's persons and admiration because of advantage. That little clause there, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage, compared here and compared with 2 Peter 2.3 and 2 Peter 2.17, is showing respect of persons and admiring men in order to get an advantage from those that have more of this. Having men's persons in admiration. They admire men, flatter men, and with feigned words, flatter those men so that they can make merchandise of them through covetousness. 2 Peter two three. Remember we have a commentary on the epistle of Jude. And in 2 Peter chapter 2. Having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. They want to get the advantage of the rich. Because the rich can do more for them than the poor can. Do you know what James chapter 2 tells us in the first nine verses? My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ in respect of persons. Those two things do not go together. We do not have the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ and any respect of persons. If a man comes into your assembly, this is all James 2, 1 through 9, if a man comes into your assembly with good clothing on and some nice rings on his hands, don't you dare sit him up in the front in some illustrious seat. Don't you know that it's the rich that bring you before the magistrates and whip you for the gospel of Jesus Christ? God's chosen the poor rich in faith. Right. James 2, 1 through 9. But these men will tend toward those that they get advantage from. They will tend toward those that can return favors to them. They will tend toward those that can make them happier. This is a warning to all of us, that we want to spread our affection and our service throughout the whole church. It is so tempting to want family or to want friends, but we need to serve and love the whole body. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus would put it this way, When you have a feast, don't bid your family, don't bid your brethren, don't bid your friends. Bid the halt, the lame, the weak, and the blind. Because they can't return the favor. I'll take care of returning the favor in the great day of judgment, is what Jesus Christ said. This is very important for us. At each point, we are thinking, so if there was a pretender among us, we would notice that that pretender had his circle of friends and pretty much limited himself to that circle. Then as soon as we've got that thought settled in our minds, we need to ask ourselves, do I spread my attention, my affection, my prayers, my service, my food, my favors? Do I spread it fairly among the whole church? When Paul addressed Timothy, he got this serious in the middle of a personal letter. I charge thee before God... And the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without any partiality observing one before another, preferring one before another. That's serious business. And it's a fault of wicked men. You think you are better than someone else in this assembly because in an IQ test you scored 93, which is near retardation. And they scored 91. Are you kidding me? That you are better than someone else because you scored a 93 and they scored a 91? Are you kidding me? Are you serious? Because you got voted most attractive in the seventh grade mock election? You're gonna look down on someone else who doesn't look quite as good as you? Are you kidding me? You're both ugly! Compared to an angel of God or the Lord Jesus Christ or anything heavenly? Right. You're in a corruptible body. If you haven't figured it out that you're ugly yet, just wait a couple of years. Seriously. No, per- no, preferring no one. There is no difference. Are you kidding? That because you make 44,000 a year and someone down the pew only makes 39 a year? That you're better than they are. are. you kidding me? There isn't anything you can do with $4,000. Because after taxes, it's only two. What are you going to do with it? You are no better than they. The Lord owns the cattle in a thousand hills. And all the silver and the gold. We can't measure ourselves by any of that stuff. What we need to measure ourselves by is faith and grace. And we're both rich. We're all rich. We're the sons of God. We're all equally rich. We're all equally attractive. Do you know what our bodies are going to look like in heaven? They're all going to be glorified. Do you think? They're going to be beautiful. So, the point being, we don't want to make any difference having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. We're not going to admire anyone in this assembly above anyone else. We're going to try to admire everyone equally. We're going to try to give equal attention to everyone, equal affection to everyone, equal service to everyone based on need, based on situation. This is a must for our church to please the Lord. Verses 12 through 16, we've just covered them. God's told us the character traits of the wicked. We should be able to identify these traits in other men. This isn't where we spend our, the priority of our time, looking at others. We want to examine ourselves. Why don't we work on the beam that is in our eyes what, before we perform eye surgery for the speck of dust in someone else's eye? Right. So the second thing is, let's examine ourselves by all of these. Are you a spot in the, in the snack about to take place? Are you a spot because you're a hypocrite? You're sitting over there acting like you love the brethren or are you going to go out of your way to encourage someone else today and show some love and affection and attention toward them? Let's spread ourselves as thin as the rest of the church needs. As big as this church that God gives us, let's spread it ourselves to every single member, every single visitor. And we can go right down through the list. These are the character traits of the wicked. We want to be able to identify them and be nervous and pray and warn and save with compassion, and save without compassion, as we're going to read in the following verses. And then we want to make sure those things are not in our lives, so that we live in agreement with what Jesus Christ has taught his saints and churches to live like. We can comfort ourselves that judgment is coming where all wrongs will be rectified. And we can know that we shall be saved with an everlasting salvation, because he is able. You are not able, but now unto him that is able is where we put our trust. May Jesus Christ be praised.